You know, when it comes to misused Bible verses, there's certainly no shortage of texts that we could examine and look at. Which text is the most misused text might depend a little bit on which context that you are dealing with and working through. My guess is if we were to interact with unbelievers, that the most misused text would probably be Matthew 7.1, which says, Judge not, lest you be not judged. All right, unbelievers love that text because they think it gives them a free pass to live however it is that they choose to be living apart from God's Word. Never mind the fact that the context speaks about judging hypocritically. Never mind the fact that Jesus says elsewhere, judge with a righteous judgment. That, reverses, that verse is taken out of context to use for their own purposes. If you're around professing believers who may hold to a distorted view of church leadership, you might hear, touch not the Lord's anointed, is a common phrase if we were to speak anything that might question the authority and the leadership of that church. No, you don't touch the Lord's anointed, ignoring the context of that passage as well. If you're around other believers who perhaps they've not spent a, a significant amount of time deeply studying God's Word and, and they are uh, simply satisfied with short platitudes to fuel their lives, you might hear verses like the passage under consideration today, particularly verse 13, I can do all things through Him who strengthens me. Often this is a favorite verse of athletes as they are about to go do their tremendous athletic feats. They claim that as a promise that they're going to win that championship. They're going to, they're going to get that award. They're going to set that record. They're going to beat their opponent because, yeah, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And it's like their motivation. It's like their battle cry as they go in to the cage match or as they step onto the field. Yeah, I can do all things through Christ. But I've wondered, what happens if, uh, if both competitors say that that's both their life verse and they step into the field together? What happens then? Dis- disappointment is the answer, yeah. <laughs> well, today we're going to consider this verse, but we're going to keep it in its context. We're going to examine and see, what, understand the true meaning of what is communicated by Paul in this text today. And just as a spoiler alert, it's about Christ supplying the strength that we need to be content even when I don't get what I want. To be content in all circumstances. So Philippians chapter 4, if you've not already turned there, go ahead and do so. And I'm going to begin picking us up in verse 10. Paul writes, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at, now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through Him who strengthens me. I want us to notice a few key things about this text this morning. The first is the Philippians concern. The Philippians concern. It says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. 
We've discussed a little bit about this, what was going on in the dynamics between Paul and the Philippian church. We looked at this back when we were working through chapter 2 because we read about Epaphroditus. Epaphroditus was this individual who had, was bringing a gift from the Philippians to Paul. And the, the church had heard and that there was a need from Paul. They heard that he was in prison and they wanted to minister to him. They wanted to, to share in the ministry. They wanted to help him in any way that they could. And so they sent Epaphroditus with a financial gift as an expression of their love and support for Paul and his ministry that was being carried out. And as Paul begins to move into really what this is rather a, a very personal section of this letter where, where he speaks very directly and tenderly about the Philippians' direct involvement in, their, in his ministry. And he considers how the Philippians have shown love and concern for him. And he says, this is a call, a cause for great rejoicing. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly. This has brought great joy and warmth to his heart that the Philippians were concerned for Paul. It says that they revived their concern for him. It means that they, at some point they had helped him out in the past, and now here they are doing it again. For one reason or another, they maybe were unable to continue doing what they had once done, but, but now they've returned to their former state. Now they have this ability to assist Paul once again, and so they begin doing so again. It says that in the text here that you indeed were concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. We don't know exactly what caused this lack of opportunity. We don't know if it was a lack of resources, so the Philippians could not send anything along. They didn't know if it was an inability to get their resources to Paul, if perhaps if they didn't know exactly where he was or how to reach him. Uh, they, per- perhaps it was an issue where you know, Paul was known from time to time to even refuse aid and refuse financial support because of the potential, um, uh, persp- uh, the word I was going to use just left, left my brain, the perception, that's the word I was looking for, uh, the perception that there could be a, a perception of obligation or the perception that they were somehow purchasing this ministry from Paul. He would refuse that if that was uh, a dynamic that was at play. Or perhaps they, uh, they did not know that he even had the need at that time until he was in prison. But at the end of the day, we don't know why it was exactly that the Philippians had lacked an opportunity to provide this support to Paul. But we do know that even in the midst of all of that, their concern remained. Their love and their, their appreciation and their support for Paul, it carried on through all of this. It says, you've revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned. Like this has been an ongoing concern, but now you have revived your ability to tangibly meet the needs at play. And so the Philippian church, they did not stop loving and desiring to care for Paul, even if they lacked an opportunity to tangibly show that concern for him. I think that's something that we can learn from. I get the sense that they desired it to help. They, they looked for an opportunity, even if that opportunity did not present itself. And I'm not going to spend a ton of time right now about all the dynamics at play here because uh, Paul expands upon these concepts in verses 14 and following. So we're going to get to that next week. 
But for now, just to see the, the concern and the desire for the Philippians to meet the needs of a brother who is doing ministry work. And so we see the context of, in which Paul is speaking and which he is going to speak next about the issue of contentment. Paul sees their concern. He rejoices over their concern. He's, he rejoices over uh, their, their ability to now meet his needs. But notice now what he says in verses 11 and 12. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In, every, in any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. As we look at these verses, I think there are several lessons about contentment that we can learn. Contentment is a, is a challenging thing for us, where we live in a world of, of instant gratification, and when things don't go our way, we are very quick to take umbrage at that. We, we, we take offense to that. We, we have problems when things aren't going our way, and contentment is a significant problem within our culture, and it's a reflection even within our own hearts. It is a uh, significant issue within our own hearts. Well, as we look at these verses, several lessons about contentment that we can learn. And the first is that contentment looks beyond immediate circumstances. Contentment looks beyond immediate circumstances. Paul wants to be clear as he's writing to the Philippians and he's thanking them. He says, I rejoice that now you are, you are stepping up and you are now supplying something to me. It, and, it's, and it's a wonderful thing. I rejoice if later on in verses 14 and 15, Paul's going to refer to their involvement as a partnership in the gospel through their provision of a financial support. I'm so thankful for that, Paul says. I'm rejoicing in this. He rejoices at their participation, rejoicing that he is sharing in this ministry. But he says his focus is on the ministry fruit and not on the financial resources. And so he's looking beyond. He says, I, I'm not speaking about being in need. It's like, I, yes, you are, you are helping in this ministry and you're supplying this, but it's not, I'm, I'm not bringing this up because I'm suffering here. I'm in need, even though he is suffering. From every human perspective, Paul is in need, right? He's in prison. He's in prison and he's sitting in a situation that is less than desirable for everyone. But Paul is looking beyond that. So I'm looking beyond these immediate circumstances I'm rejoicing because you are partnering with me in the gospel. You are sharing in this ministry. So I'm not talking about my own needs here. I'm talking about the ministry fruit that is being born. He's looking beyond the immediate circumstances. Contentment looks beyond immediate circumstances. Second, contentment is learned. Contentment is learned. Contentment isn't something that, well, you either got it or you don't. Most of the time, we don't, right? It's, it's something that we have to learn and we have to, we have to gain. We have to learn how to bring this into our lives. Paul says, I have learned in whatever situation I am in to be content. And then later in verse 12, he says, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger. You guys know that I'm a bivocational pastor. I not only have this ministry with the church, but I also do electrical work 
that provides, uh, we, we have raised missionary support to help establish this church and all those things. Well, a number of years ago, I was serving as a bivocational associate pastor at another church down in Jefferson Town, Kentucky, and there was a period of time there when I was there for a couple of years where I was really struggling with contentment in bivocational ministry. I wanted to be full-time. I wanted to be able to devote all of my energy to the church and to forget about the electrical world. I, just, I, I didn't mind electrical as far as it went. I enjoyed certain aspects of the job. But my heart and my desire, and this is, this is how I even presented it to individuals, I want to be less of an electrician and more of a pastor. That's how I want to see things go. And I struggled greatly with this issue of contentment and the rigors of what felt like to me was a divided attention where I was trying to focus on these, all these different things. On the one hand, I was trying to help a church. It was a church plant. I was trying to help them graduate from church plant status to established church status. On the other hand, I was working full-time or nearly full-time in the electrical world uh, for, uh, to, just for the income that was necessary at that time. And God had to work in my heart through that. And I would even say even still must work within my heart through contentment in these areas. And, and it was a hard process, but there's a few things that I learned. Paul says I've learned contentment. There are some, several things through that process that I learned that I think are very important. First, we need to consider what contentment is not. Consider what contentment is not. Some, if we hear the words, oh, you need to learn how to be content. I know for me, I took that to mean stop trying to change your circumstances. Just be content. Just be, be fine right where you are. But if we, take that, if we take contentment to mean that we stop trying to change our circumstances, we are not learning contentment, but rather complacency. So I think that is the first thing that we must embrace and realize, that contentment doesn't mean complacency. Contentment does not mean complacency or surrender to our circumstances. I have no doubt in my mind that the Apostle Paul, as he's sitting in prison, would much rather prefer not to be in prison. And if there was something that he could do to rectify that situation and get himself out of jail, short of denying the gospel, of course, and and to acquiesce to human uh, bullying tactics, now he would do that, right? In fact, we read through the book of Acts. We see him actively intervening and trying to do things to change his circumstances. When he was under trial for under false pretenses, he appealed to Caesar. He was not in a situation where he just says, well, I'm just going to be content with where I'm at and whatever happens, happens, and I'm just going to let it be. And he wasn't complacent. He didn't stop it from trying to change his circumstances. He appealed to Caesar. It does not mean that he was a malcontent, but rather he was doing what he could, what he believed was right in that moment. So we need to realize that we can simultaneously be content with where God has us in a given moment and work to change our circumstances. Those things are not mutually exclusive, they can come together. Now we might ask, well, how is that possible? How can that be? And here's what I think the answer to this question is, and I think that is even latent within our text as well. We have to ask, answer this question. Where does your contentment lie? 
What is the source of your contentment? Where does it come from? Does it rest on your circumstances or in Christ? Is it dependent upon your situation or upon your Savior? If things are going well, it's easy for us to say, well, I'm very content with where God has me. But if God takes those things away, do we respond with devastation when that, and, uh, and your contentment? If, you, if we respond with devastation, then it reveals that our contentment was grounded in our circumstances that we liked rather than in the Lord. But if we can honestly say, yes, the Lord gives and the Lord it takes away, well, that might reveal of where our contentment lies, that it is in Christ. And this doesn't mean that we're just stoic to the world and that we have no emotions and we don't grieve when we lose things and when things are taken from us, that we don't are impacted by those things. That It doesn't mean any of that, but it, it does mean that our whole world is not wrapped up within our circumstances, that everything rises or falls with us based on what's going on in my life in that moment. What God brings into my life, what God takes away, can we still say, blessed be the name of the Lord. If my contentment is in Christ, that I'm free to work to change my circumstances knowing that even if my circumstances don't change, even if God closes those doors, even if there's no pathway forward to something different that I would prefer, that I can still say, it's okay. It is well with my soul. Even if I would prefer something else, this is what God has for me in this moment. So I'm going to embrace that. As challenging as that might be, I'm going to work to embrace that because this is what God has ordained for my good and His glory. We know that we are discontent if the changes that I want to see If they don't come to fruition and I'm responding with anger or frustration or discouragement or annoyance, I think those are warning signs that our contentment is not in Christ, but it's in my individual circumstances. So we must recognize that contentment is is something we learn, it's something we grow in, but it doesn't mean complacency. But contentment is grounded in trust. Contentment is grounded in trust. And when Paul says he's learned the the secret of being content, as as I was reflecting upon this text and considering even what's in the immediate context of this passage and going back a few verses to what we covered last week, I can't help but see a connection between Paul's instructions about how we reckon with anxiety and how we reckon with these, these troubles and things that we deal with in the world and how that is connected with the concepts of being content. Contentment and anxiety can be closely linked together. If we are anxious, there's a good chance that we are not being content. If we're worried about the future, about what might come, about what is a possible reality of the future, that reveals, again, a lack of trust and perhaps even a lack of contentment with where God has us in that moment. But if, as Paul describes, if we are praying to God and trusting His good of providence, if, if we are choosing to dwell upon that which is good, noble, just, pure, lovely, of good report, anything virtue, anything praiseworthy, if we're choosing to think about these things, 
then it would seem that such a mindset would naturally flow into a mindset of contentment because I'm trusting God even in my circumstances that I wish were different. I'm not allowing those circumstances to to build up this anxiety within me, but rather I am choosing to be grateful and thankful and content with where God has me. Contentment, therefore, is grounded within the trust that Paul has just expressed our need for going back to verses 6 and following. Because reality is, discontentment really isn't about your actual circumstances. It might feel that way, but truthfully, it's dissatisfaction with God and His work. Discontentment really isn't about your circumstances, but it's dissatisfaction with God and His work. Discontentment with God and what He has ordained for our lives, dissatisfaction with what God has ordained for your good and His glory. If we have a us-focused mindset and just our everything is wrapped up within our circumstances, this is going to be the result. But if we take that step back that Paul has been directing us to and, and calling us to, even in the midst, this whole book has been just a masterful outlay of, of all the wonderful things that God is doing in the world, even through our sufferings, even in the midst of our hardships. If we take that step back and say, okay, this is hard, but I can see God is working here. And even if, even if I don't see exactly where all the connecting points are of where God is at work, I'm going to trust that He is because I know His nature and I know how He has revealed Himself and I know what He has done in the past and therefore I have good reason to believe that this is true of who He is and what He will do in the future. And that is where contentment comes into bear. It comes grounded within the trust that we have in our God, in the One who has given Himself for us. Paul says he has learned the secret. Whether I, whether, I am brought, uh, whether I abound or whether I am brought low. When, it's, when he says there in verse 12, I know how to be brought low. It, it speaks of physical deprivation of, of assets. Like there's, there's a poverty expressed within that concept. There's you know, the concept, I'm brought low. I am humbled. I have humble circumstances. I'm I'm poor. I know what it means. I know how to be brought low. I know how to be made poor in the world's eyes, but I also know how to abound and have wealth of the world, of how have riches in this world. I've learned the secret of facing both plenty and hunger, abundance and need. He, he looks at all these things and says, I can be content in all those circumstances because I am trusting in Christ. And that brings us to verse 13. After saying these things, that he does know how to face plenty, how to face hunger, he can face all of this because I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Paul says, I can be content when I have churches like the Philippians supporting me. 
I can be content when the gospel is widely embraced and when lives are impacted and changed by the gospel. I can be content when I hear good reports about churches who are bearing fruit in the gospel. They're carrying forward the message even after I've moved on to another city. And of course we say, of course you can be content in those situations. Those are good things. We're happy about those things. It's easy to be content then. But Paul can also say on the flip side, I can be content when I'm in jail without any means to support myself. I think of our brothers in Canada who are facing this very possible reality even today that they could be imprisoned. Will they be able to say, I'm content with this knowing that I've stood for truth and that this is what is right before God? Paul says, I can be content when the gospel is rejected. I can be content when I don't know where the next meal will come from. I can be content when the Jews mock and the Gentiles revile me. And I can do this because I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. This is a divine contentment grounded in in the trust in the Savior. Paul can't do this on his own. As great as we think Paul is, man, this super apostle, this great saint, maybe the greatest missionary that's ever walked the face of the earth, he can't do it on his own. Paul says in Colossians that he needs the strength of Christ working in and through him. And here he says, I, I can't be content on my own. No, I do this through him who strengthens me. This verse isn't about how Christ is going to help you get your promotion, win the competition, pass your test, or accomplish whatever goals might be in front of you, but it's about Christ giving you the strength to be content in Him, not in our circumstances, but in Him when all of those things fail. When we're passed over for the promotion, when you lose the competition, when all the things that we think are right and good that we're pursuing and looking after, when all those things fail to come about, because God has closed those doors, I can say, I'm content. I'm all right. This is where God has me. I can be content. Not because I'm just this super great saint, but because the strength of Christ is supplying the strength that I need for this task. Just uh, by way of illustration, a little peek into our lives, even at this very moment right now, our family, we are, one of our goals for the year 2022 is to purchase a home and to move into that home. Something that we desire, something that we look forward to, something that uh, we hope is going to come about. As we've begun working on this, as we've gone, stepped into this process, we've discovered that because of our unique situation, the fact that I'm partially self-employed, partially living on raised support from donors from the outside, that this puts us in a precarious situation with lenders to secure a mortgage. There's a very real possibility that we may not be able to secure the financing that we need in order to purchase the home that we desire. 
we may need to be content with living in our apartment that we would very much like to move out of. We very well may need to learn contentment for that. That's just a, a very simple but present reality for us right now. Like this is what we're facing really in this moment. And honestly, it's, it's difficult, right? We want our own home. Like we, we want to be out of our apartment. We want to be in our own house. But I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So even though it may be challenging, this is something that can be done. I can be content with our apartment if my contentment isn't in my apartment, but if it's in Christ who is working all things together for our good and His glory. And for you, you may be facing other things in life right now that you wish were different in your individual life contexts. Amen. <laughs> How we respond to those is crucial. Right? Work to change your circumstances. That's good and proper. That's what we're doing in our lives right now. We're trying to do what we can. We're, shop, we're talking to different lenders, say, okay, maybe this lender's not comfortable taking on this, this risk. Maybe there's another lender who will. And we're, we're shopping around and we're doing these different things and we're looking around trying to see what can we do to make this happen. So we can and we should even work to change our circumstances if we know that whatever it is that God has planned for us, it's okay. And we can rest in what God is going to deliver for us. Are we willing to accept the outcome that is ultimately from His hand? So, I encourage you to pursue your goals and your godly desires, but all the while resting in Christ and knowing that whatever comes that you can be content, even if that's a struggle, but it can be done because you can do all things through Christ who gives you the strength to do so. Let's pray. Father, this is a challenging text. Contentment is challenging for us challenging for me. I know what I want and I know what my desires are. I know what I think would be best for, for me and my family. And yet, you may be closing those doors. And we may have to be content with the situation in which you have placed us. I say we may have to be content. We do have to be content regardless of the circumstances, whether they change or not, our contentment must be resting within you. I pray that you would work that within my heart, within my life, that I would submit myself to your word, that I would trust in the God of all goodness, the trust in you as you have revealed yourself, knowing that, that these are not things that you have arbitrarily brought into my life. These are not things that are, Lord, you are not a capricious God but rather you have a plan and a purpose for all of these things. And so as I seek to pursue trusting in you, I pray that you would give me the strength to find my contentment in Christ and what he has done for me. 
And I pray that same truth, I pray that same prayer, Lord, for everyone sitting here today. Lord, all, all of us have things that we desire were different within our lives. There are things that we wish you would bring about into our lives. I pray that we would have the freedom to pursue those things and, the, and to, to do what we can to change our circumstances into that which is more desirable and yet all the while knowing that whatever comes from your hands, give us the strength to accept. If you say no, give us the strength to embrace that and find our contentment in Christ and not in our individual circumstances. Thank you for all that you've done for us. I pray that you would keep us from pursuing materialism, or oftentimes your word speaks of contentment in terms of materialism. Keep us from that. Cause us to be content. Resting in Christ, trusting in Christ. And I pray all of this in the name of Christ. Amen.